Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Tryon. I'm Jeff Harris. I'm the pastor here at First Baptist, and I'm grateful for you joining us today. I must say, podcast might be a bit of a stretch because really this is our weekly sermon, and I'm grateful that you've taken the time to listen to this week's sermon. I will give one word of warning, though, especially to those of you who are driving. Sermons um, from time to time tend to put people to sleep, so if you're driving, be real careful. We don't want you to fall asleep, because we'd love to have you tune in next week. (laughs) I hope you enjoy this week's sermon, although enjoy is really not the intended outcome of a sermon, but I am grateful that you took the time to listen, and I hope you have a great week. I'll catch you next week. Welcome to the First Baptist Church of Tryon. Thanks for stopping by today to check out this week's sermon. I do want to remind you that you can join us for Zoom worship on Sundays at 11. Uh, In the description below, you can find all the information that you need about when we meet and how you might join up with us. We'd love to have you to be a part of those worship times on Zoom. So again, thanks for being here. Paul has spent 11 chapters in Romans explaining and assuring the church there in Rome that God's grace extends to both Jews and Gentiles. And and now there's this kind of transition. It's almost like a, a really loud therefore, as Paul tells us how we are to respond to God's gracious offer of life. You see, the church, that is you and me, we, we are to respond to God's gracious gifts of life by being a different kind of community. Paul calls this uh, community a colony of heaven in Philippians. And that's really what we are to be. We're to be an outpost here to reflect what it looks like when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's who we are to be. And it is definitely a different way of living and being. And if you want to really know what it looks like, I don't think there's any better example than Paul's instructions here in Romans 12. Here's what it looks like. Hear these words. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be any wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. 
if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Truth is, I don't really know what you can add to this text. (laughs) It speaks for itself. In fact, I've always wanted to preach a sermon where I step into the pulpit, I read the text, I'm silent for 30 seconds, and then I say, any questions? And then just sit down. (laughs) And be quiet for 15 or 20 minutes and just let us all sit with the implications of that text. That would probably do, (laughs) would probably do more good than some preacher trying to expound upon the text. When the text is so often self-evident. Of course, I'm not actually wise enough to do this. I mean, Paul does say, do not claim to be any wiser than you are. So I'm demonstrating that I'm I'm, I'm not going to do that because, well, I've already started preaching. I should have just read the thing and been quiet. Just let us sit with it. Here's the hard reality. The church, that is you and me. And all those others out there who claim to be disciples of Jesus, here's the hard reality. We don't come close. We don't come close to living like this. Because if we did, if we got half of this right, if we did a quarter of these things, can you imagine how different our communities would be? Can you imagine how different the world would be if those of us who say that we follow Jesus, if we actually did just half these things? And I know that's probably not what you want to hear. It may not even be what you need to hear. These are hard days and you probably don't really need a hard sermon, but this is a hard one. It's just right in front of us. So self-evident the text, and so self-evident how far we fall from even striving to live in such ways. I remember hearing Walter Brueggemann some years ago when he was at Gardner-Webb, and I can't really remember what his lecture was on, but I remember he did this little aside about clergy burnout, and he talked about, you know, all the research and the data says that oftentimes clergy burn out from long hours Interrupted vacations, little time with with families, salaries, contentious congregations. There's all this kind of conventional wisdom about why clergy burn, burn out. And, and not only is it conventional wisdom, 
but there's research there to kind of back it up. And Brueggemann laid all that out and he said, fooey. That's not why clergy burn out. He said clergy burn out mainly because of one reason. And here it is, he said. They know the truth, but they aren't free, but they aren't free to say it. They know the truth, and they aren't free to say it, and it eats at them. And eventually it'll wither away at your soul. And it'll just wear you out. I think he's mostly right about that. When I look at the church in America, it it makes me want to weep. It also makes me want to yell a little bit. <laughs> Maybe throw some chairs across the room or turn over some tables in the temple. But when I see when I see how polarized the church has become, when I see how much we simply reflect the culture around us, then I know we aren't actually the church. When I see churches that look and think just like the Republican Party, then I know we're not the church. When I see churches that look and think just like the Democratic Party, then I know we're not the church. When I see churches meeting indoors without proper precautions in the midst of a pandemic, then I know we're not the church. There may be good intentions there, but that's not loving each other, much less loving our neighbors. There are implications for those kinds of gatherings beyond just that gathering and those people who attend, right? That trickles out into the community. When I see Christians who refuse to wear a face covering in public spaces in the midst of a pandemic, we we aren't being the church. I, I honestly I don't I don't get it. It's not that hard. Maybe, maybe it turns out, maybe it turns out that the face coverings do nothing. And maybe it turns out that the whole thing's a hoax and we'll just end up looking like a bunch of dummies. I don't think that's how it's going to turn out, by the way. But even if it did, then we'd know that just trying to do that one little thing, we were trying to love our neighbors because that face covering is not protecting us. It's, it's to protect other people. If we don't wear those face coverings for whatever reasons we come up with and it turns out we actually are asymptomatic and we give the virus to someone else and they die. Maybe that's a little hyperbolic, but I just don't get it. I do not get churches, Christians who just refuse to do what seems like easy things that would express our love of God and our love of neighbor. I don't get it. 
the Baptist theologian Coleman Fanning, he says it this way. He says, perhaps the defining characteristic of Baptist in America, whether they're conservative or progressive or otherwise, the defining characteristic, he says, has always been cultural captivity. And in fact, he said to label one's Christianity as conservative or progressive is in fact a sign of our captivity to American political discourse. And the problem is, he says, whenever we label our Christianity as conservative or as progressive, what happens is that we become ob obligated to conservatism or progressivism rather than to Christ. And it's so true. It is so true. The church isn't called to be conservative. The church isn't called to be progressive. Churches aren't even called to be successful. Which is what is so lauded and worshipped in our culture. Success. Churches aren't called to be successful. Churches are called to be faithful. Churches are called to be truthful. In a world full of lies, shouldn't there be one place where we can at least be honest about who we are? Honest about who we aspire to be? Honest that we are lousy <laughs> at living out the imperatives here that Paul lays out in chapter 12. Now the point of this sermon and the point of church, it's not, it's not to beat you up. It's not to heap loads of guilt on you because we're already probably struggling with some of that. I'm not trying to heap more because the truth is Jesus comes to free us from all that stuff. Jesus comes to empower us to be a different kind of people. I know it's hard. I know it is hard to go against the current. I know. And in this place in which we live, it's just there's just this little dividing line, right? And it's it's always a binary church choice where you're either you're either over here or you're over there, right? One or the other, either left or right or conservative or progressive or whatever. It's the wrong way to frame the question. And if you frame the question wrong, you're not going to get the right answer. We are to be framing our own questions, not allowing the culture to dictate them to, to us. And if you want to know what kind of people we're called to be, if you want to know what kind of community the church is called to be, it's right here. I should have just done this, right? I should have just read it and shut up and sit down, <laughs> which I'm going to do right now. I'm going to read it one more time because this I, I can't expound upon this. Let love be genuine. Be authentic in your love. Hate what is evil. Don't give in to evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. 
persevere in prayer. Keep praying. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. That is, take care of those who are a part of our community of faith. That is, take care of those who aren't a part of our community of faith, which means everyone. Take care of all people. Bless those who persecute you. What? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Wow. That's a hard one. Jesus says the same thing. Which is where Paul gets all this, by the way, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Look, we're not all going to sing the same note. The point of church is not about uniformity. But goodness gracious, we at least have to be singing the same song. And all these different voices and all these different gifts can blend in to make this beautiful music of the gospel. Do not be haughty. That's a good, I mean, that's the sermon right there, right? Go up into the pulpit, do not be haughty, and then just sit down and be quiet. And some of y'all would be saying, I think the preacher needs to hear that one himself. What do you think? Yeah, do not be haughty. Don't be a jerk. But associate with the lowly. We don't do that. We aren't the church. Do not claim to be any wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Don't do it. Because an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, it leaves the whole world blind and toothless. Don't do it. But take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. All, not just you, not just me, but all. The common good. And if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, and guess what? It usually depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. And it mostly depends on us. Most people will leave you alone if you don't react, if you don't keep pushing back. And so when Paul says, so far as it depends on you, well, it mostly does. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. That part sounds kind of fun, right? Let's heap some burning coals on their heads. No, it's not. He's quoting from Proverbs 25 here. We're not really killing them with kindness. That's not really what that means. But when you do this in a certain, when you respond to people in that kind of a way, when you actually love your enemies, 
you will, which is how Paul writes this up, you will overcome evil with good. You will. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are not called to fight fire with fire. We are called to fight with the love of Christ. For it is the love that overcomes the world. That overcomes death. May that love free you from all that binds you. May that love free you so that you may swim against the current. May that love free all of us so that we might be the church. Because the world needs us. May you go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And as you go, remember who you are. You are disciples of Jesus, our Lord and our brother, children of Almighty God, bound together as brothers and sisters in the Spirit. You are the very body of Christ. So may you serve the Lord with gladness all your days. Amen.